What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast. Today's guest is Jerry Landy, filmmaker and owner of Cinema on the Sound, a movie theater right here on City Island. Jerry helped me fulfill a lifelong dream of mine to be killed in a horror movie, so make sure you check out Shriek of the Woodlouse. Uh, Jerry also talks about his plans for Cinema on the Sound, so without further ado, please enjoy the show. Jerry, thank you for being here with us today. I'm so excited to talk to you. How are you doing? Doing great. Good. Good. We're going to have some fun. I'm excited to hear all about your career and your filmmaking. Um, but first, I want to start with hearing about your background, where you grew up, where you went to school, and maybe what inspired you to get into the film industry. Um, I started out, I guess it all starts with a camera, right? Um, when I was seven years old, I decided I wanted to be a photographer. I used to read National Geographic magazine, I used to see all over the world. I said, that's something I want to do. So I went to my father and I said, I'm interested in photography. So my father went out and bought me a Polaroid Swinger, like in the original Polaroid camera. He bought me a bunch of film. And I remember he went upstate. He said, go into the woods, go take some pictures, let me see if you're off. Now, I had no idea that my father wanted to be a photographer. No idea when this happened. That he actually wanted to go to school, but he couldn't go to school because it was a whole thing. So, in, his, in the back of his mind, I know, he was like, oh wow, my son's got the fuck. So he went out and bought me a Polaroid. And then I said, I want a real camera. When he bought me a real camera, I said, well, I can't see the picture because I'm going to use a Polaroid. So he goes, well, I used to be a photographer. If you want to learn how to develop a film, I'll teach you. So he took me out at like eight years old. Took me out and bought me a golfing set and I became a photographer. And um, I started working, I think my first professional job was at the Bronx Theater, which is still in operation. And they hired me because I would shoot, I would process the film, and I would print the photos in the magazine. So I would do everything. I would shoot, work all night with the newspaper. And that was my first big job um, as a photographer. Then I started working as an offset printer um, to make money because I did printing in schools. And then one day, um, a photographer came in from the studio, made some work done, and I started talking to him. And I said, I'm a photographer. He goes, really? I go, yeah, you know, um, I'm a working photographer. I do my own thing. I have my own studio. I would do work for, like, lawyers, private, like, follow people, like, drug reports, crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. So he goes, well, um, if you want to learn wedding photography, I'll give you a job at my place. So I immediately, I had a fight with my boss. It was so funny. And I called him up one day and said, yeah. The boss at the Bronx. The boss at the Bronx. And this guy was a young person. He was the Sazy photographer. This guy was like an old school photographer. And when he, when he hired me, I said, you know, shoot weddings. So he trained me to shoot weddings. And he taught me how to process color film. Taught me how to like, be a real photographer. Like, that was one of my like my first real strong methods. My teacher in high school, my photography teacher, was a strong mentor who basically let me have free reign because he saw it. I had a dog at home. I'm here to work. So between Mr. Nussa and um, John Bassese, these are two people who um, basically shaped my work ethic in photography. And um, through the photography, um, I made a living and, you know, all of this stuff. I was originally trained as a filmmaker and went to school for visual arts to study film. The problem was, when I got out of visual arts, I really couldn't find a job in the film industry. It was only working for trauma or the, 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 the so I became a photographer. So that's how I was making money. So 
So for 20 years, after I did all of the wedding stuff and I was a racetrack photographer, shooting photo finishes, um, I retired, I got a job as a medical photographer. And for the next 20 years, I worked doing autopsies, crime scenes, uh, yeah, all the boring stuff. And they were like, they needed someone who could put up the moment the wedding war. And I was like, oh, this is my day. So for 20 years, I was a medical photographer working for the city, which was, I mean, I could do a whole can't talk about that. But um, so the photography, having cameras has always been in my blood. And when my wife got pregnant, I did my 20 years and I retired and became a stay-at-home dad and raised my daughter, which was probably the greatest thing I've ever done because it, it kind of like centered me and showed me what was really important in life. And what was important in life was doing what I wanted to do. So at that point, I had to talk with my wife and I said, in the beginning, I said, after my daughter goes to school, I want to go back to work because I like to work. I can't just sit around. And then when the film stuff started, when I made my first film, we got to the film festival, and my wife said, maybe you should stick on the film industry. I think this is your happy place. This is where you can actually be creative and you can you can just basically do what you want to do. So we we were in, you know, my wife is a physician, so it was an easy thing to do. So I basically said, okay, I want to work part time. I'll get back to the film. And that's how the whole film thing started. And that became like a massive part of my life. Yeah. That is amazing that you did wedding photography or you worked for the newspaper, then weddings, then crime scenes. Or what was the other one that you said? And there was another one that I can't remember. Autopsies. Oh, autopsies. Like, that's such a wide range of experience. And then you took a little break and then you decided film was where you wanted to be. Yeah. Um, um, I'm a film guy. I love film. I mean, I'm a walking encyclopedia for stupid So I get phone calls from people. There was this movie with this actor who looked like this. And I go, all right, try to value. You know, so it, it's like I've always been a film guy. And getting back into film was, um, it was very, how can I put it? It was, it was a way of, because like I said, for a couple of years raising a kid, you're out of the loop. Yeah. You're basically raising a kid. So you see all your friends like, you know, doing things and going to work every day and you feel like, God, I'm, like, I'm out of it. Like, I'm, I'm not used to working. So once my daughter was of age, I said, I got to go back down to that place and do something. And thank, you know, I have a really cool wife who said, you should get back into creative. I think this is where you go. So I made this uh, <laughs> documentary about military people, which was back in the New York Film Festival. And after that, somebody interviewed me and said, what would you like to do? I said, well, I'd like to make a horror movie. So I wrote this crazy script called Raccoon, <laughs> which is about a crack-addicted raccoon who, um, who basically gets back at um, over-developers who over-developers. Oh, my God. Well, I was in politics, so that's a whole yeah. story. But um, at the point, I was fighting the overdevelopment of the waterfronts at this point. And I was like, I would go after these developers. And I actually had a house. So in the process of all this, one night I hear like screaming, like outside, crazy screaming. And I get like, oh my god. And I go outside and I see two raccoons fighting. Oh my god. And they're like beating the crap at each other. And they're screaming the sound. Yeah. So the first thing that came to my head, because I grew up in the 70s, was that looks like two crackheads fighting. Have you ever seen crackheads like that's how And all of a sudden, like this thing came into my mind. That's so Rack, funny. Rack, 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 rack. So I remember my wife, I, I came into the bedroom and I go, what the hell are you doing? So I'm 
running outside and the lights are all on outside the house and everything. And I said, I just saw two raccoons fighting. They looked like blackheads in the back. So the next day, because I'm, I like to write, um, I'm a writer. I've been writing my whole life. And I sat down and I wrote this script. And I started shopping it to all these people. And I said, I have this movie. It's a low-budget film. I can do it. Um, you know, whatever. And everybody left. Like, people just were like, you're an idiot. This is a stupid movie. So I wound up putting my own money into it. And I got my friends together and we shot that. Over the course of the summer. We put it into the New York Film Festival. All of a sudden, Raccoon, New York Magazine, was at the screening. The New York Magazine, on the back of the New York Magazine, said, Crack Boom, Low Ground <gasps> So within that day, we got 16,000 hits on our YouTube trailer site for Crack And I started getting phone calls from everyone, including a reality TV show at um, Edelwald, who was doing um, Deal or No Deal at the time. Oh my God. And they actually, we actually shot a scissor work for a TV series that I was making fun of. But I just didn't want to do that. So yeah. You want so, to be on one side of the camera? Yeah, it's like we. Uh, funny story. Um, I was dating many uh, years ago. I had an ex-girlfriend. We we ended up on So while I was negotiating the sci-fi channel, sci-fi channel was doing on Saturday night. That's all I had to do was sign a contract. And the night before the contract signed, I'm out drinking, partying, having a good time, and I get a phone call from this ex-girlfriend. She goes, um, "You know, I just want to tell you I work for sci-fi." Really, she goes, Your name has been all over the place about your show. So I go, Really? Am I allowed to curse on this? Okay. So, um, so I go, well, What do you say? She goes, Jane Fonda. And I go, What do you mean, Jane Fonda? And then she went over a list of how they were going to take the trade off, how they were going to take, like, okay, we got the crack rooms in the Oh, so she was looking out for you. They were going to film, yeah. Well, like, I always say, when you have an ex girlfriend, we both on good terms. So you never know when it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. But, that that radicus movie, I that was a movie sci-fi challenge was gonna do. They um I also had a movie about Jaron Kirkman's prayers. I pitched it, they said yes, yeah. so I'm alright. But at that point, um I was really intent on just doing my own thing. And I realized that um the reality show it would have it would have been on sci-fi channel Saturday nights, right? It was gonna be ten weeks of us making the series and then at the end of it they were gonna show the premiere on Saturday. So whatever money they made on bat rat t shirts, bat rat dolls, I was So the next day I go into this meeting and everybody's there and Assuming you're getting ready to sign on the dotted line. And I go, Oh my gosh. I got a phone call one time. An old girlfriend. And I said to them, um, always leave off for these rest. So I go, What do you mean? I said, Well, I got a phone call. Some of the listeners told me about you before you come to And I read off the list. And the girl who was the showrunner was like, So I said, Be careful you know, who you sleep with. She was like, Sleeping with you all the time. And I go, I hope that's a joke. I said, Because I'm a married man. And if I was single, I probably would have had you. Right? And I just basically just like totally shit on her. Yeah. And said, No, I'm leaving. And I left. And then two years later, we came back with another proposal. I said, I don't want to be a reality TV star. And reality TV, just to let you know, is not real. They were setting up scenarios for me. Yeah. It's like, um, I would have people attacking on the street and stuff. I'm like, what's going on? And I realized they set it up. Um, we would have an audition. They sent ringers. 
And I didn't, this one woman looked like she was having an orgasm. And I'm just like, and I got the phone because I have the scissor wheel. I'm sitting there going, she's really good, you know? And they put me aside and say, why didn't you, why didn't you yell at her and tell her she was terrible? I go, that's not me. I don't do that. Like, mm-hmm. People come and audition for me. They may be horrible and say, I was really good at home. I'll get in touch with yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not that guy. So they wanted, they were going to create, they were going to turn, and the scissor wheel was great. I got to show it with you. They made everybody look like idiots but me. And they were trying to sell that. And I was like, but these are my friends. Yeah. I said, so you're going to make fun of my friends and I'm not even going to get paid for it? I said, you guys are giving me nothing. I said, and you really don't know me. I'm an honorable guy. I would never do that. So that was my small foray into the TV world. And I decided just to go back to my horror films and my documentaries. Just with that, that's that's my comfort zone. That's amazing. I cannot believe that. Especially the New York Times saying that, or the New, New York, York magazine. magazine. I, I still have it framed. That's yeah. amazing. Well, it, it was it was great because then um, San Francisco, the Roxy Theater, which is a place I can only imagine playing at, they called me to do a cartoon. Like San Francisco, so I was like, really? So we went out there and two critics reviewed the movie. Two people got it. Crackpool is a goof on 70s horror movies, like the Crackpool. Yeah. There. They're puppet movies. They're, they're not meant to be taken seriously. And the people who got it, they won right. tons of awards, best cult movie, best horror film, I got best director for the sequel. So the people who got the one reviewer gave me a bad review, right? And I refused to go to work. I said, I'm not going. I went down to the interview. And I'm in the hotel. I'm not, I, I, was, I was early in the career. My skin wasn't as thick as it is now. And I'm like, screw them. I ain't going to the movie. Nobody's going to show up anyway because the guy gave me a bad review. So after about two hours, they convinced me to go, and we rented a van, and we pulled up to the theater, and the lines around the block. Oh my God. So I go, what are the movies playing tonight? I go, thank you. Go, These people didn't see my food. So I go, yeah. So we park the car, and we pull up, and the, there's all these people in line. And I go, I, I got to get into the theater. Can I go? And all of a sudden, these guys over here, and the whole theater, the theater doors open up, and a gosh, a marijuana store comes out of the theater. <laughs> and these two guys come out of the theater, and goes, Jerry Landy! And I swear to God, they were witnesses today. People jumped off the line and started taking pictures. Oh my God. The Lulu Cartoon guy, there was a couple that lived in the Bronx that lived in San Francisco and drove to go to the screening just to meet. And it was one of those, I tell people, you have that one moment where you're like, Jesus Christ, this, this, they got it. Like, and that was the moment. The Roxy was sold out. It was the first time they ever sold out. And I actually gave up my seat to a woman with an oxygen tank. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! I was sitting back with women coming in with the mask, and there's no seat there. Sit out, to But aren't you going to watch Lewis? Yeah. <laughs> and the Q&A was amazing. The journey Q&A, I said, I almost didn't come here tonight because a guy gave me a bed view and some guys stood up who was it? We'll kill him. And I was like, oh my God. this is like, and, and from then on, it became like a cult thing. So I would go to places and people would hear crack when I was at the Bronx Zoo and then I heard people, I don't know if they saw me, but somebody said, where did the crack food? Oh and I was like, wow. It became, it became a, a really crazy... It was like a cultural moment, a cultural yeah. Moment. Yeah, and the, the red eye is the anti-hero. He's basically fighting for the rights of a, of a kid who's abused by his parents, and he's fighting to keep the waterfront because what was happening in the waterfront was all these animals mm-hmm. would be dislocated into our neighborhood. So we were seeing like big stumps of raccoons that we never saw before because they were over and over in Boston and they had nowhere to live. So it became like a, a, a political cause because I wasn't politics at that point. And anytime I make a movie in the neighborhood, I make sure I have 
screaming and giving them money to like just give back to the neighborhood because the neighborhood has always been really good in my mind. Like give me the things you live in front of my house. Yeah. So it's like I'm a neighborhood guy. I grew up in the Bronx, I'm a Bronxville neighbor. I want to make sure that the Bronx is shown in a good light. You know, yeah. Because I travel and people have this really bad impression of the Bronx. Yeah. I show the Bronx as a different that's awesome. That's amazing. So how did you, like after Crackoon, the dust settles, how did you decide what your next movie was going to be and, you know, who you were going to work with, what you wanted your main role to be? Did you want to keep writing or were you a jack of all trades? You know, kind of thing. Like, Well, I, um, the first Crackoon, I hired a DP, but he bowed out like halfway after the work. So mm -hmm. I wound up shooting everything in Crackoon, everything. Editing it, shooting it, wrote it, did the sound design, actually played a victim, and I played a rabbi. But when that movie was made, I saw that I did all the credits. I could take me. Oh my gosh. John Hirsch, and like all these A Pagoda, and I would put all these fake names in the credits so I didn't look like the idiot who did the whole movie by himself, oh. but I did. What happened was somebody actually saw Crack Moon and offered to give me like 35000 like we raised $35,000 to shoot the sequel. And uh, I, I'm. I'm I like the first one because the first one, uh, the second one is like high tech special effects. We had creatures built, animatronic creatures like South whatever and how, and all this great stuff. Um, Crackman 2 did very well. It um, got distribution, which was my first movie. I got distribution. It went worldwide. Um, it's been the most bootleg movie um, ever. My distribution cost me all the time. That's so She goes, everybody bootleg. Yeah, I'll get reports every day. It's oh and my God. Cool. Yeah. I, 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 made, I made exactly. $9. Wow. The second one. The first one I made a little more, but the second one I made a little more. Wow. And they got major distribution. So it's like, you don't do it for the money, you do it for the love. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I don't understand how these young filmmakers are paying their rent because I could have paid my rent on my own. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, you can tell that you have a real passion for it. Even just like having the power to turn down that deal from. Uh, the sci-fi. I would probably be a laughing stock right now. Thank God. No, and, and nobody would take me serious as a filmmaker. Yeah. Now I, I get invited to film festivals. I I'm on awards. People take my movie serious. They might not have taken movies that serious. Yeah. Film and TV. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be the Jersey Shore. And it's all yeah. funny. I mean, you know, I told him. I said, and, and I had a meeting with him. I said, I have the kind of life where things happen. You talk to my wife. I walk down the street. I've met celebrities. I've been involved. Um. Crackpool 2, I had a playboy. And I was almost going to the Playboy Mansion, which has been my life dream. So I'm very upset about that because I always want to go to the Bronx. I just want to go to the Bronx. And I met playmates, and one of them was in my movie, and I started hanging out with all these older playmates. You know, I'm hanging out with the Bronx at the Bronx. And um, I was like, finally, because she said, next time you come to California, I'll take you to the Bronx. Oh my gosh. Mansion. And that's all I kept thinking about. Oh my gosh. I had to stay alive for another. Three months. That yeah, I've been in the grotto, but yeah, taking some selfies. But, um, I, 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 I was at a film festival a couple of weeks ago. I have a Holocaust come now, um, which is about a violent issue of the Holocaust guy. And all the filmmakers were sitting around talking, and it's all about the past. Um, we, especially in days like this, when you see something like the rise of hate, is getting worse, right? So when I met this Holocaust survivor. He basically went out to schools and taught tolerance. So I thought that that would be a good project because I thought that right now we need to show that we have we need tolerance. 
and especially teaching the Torah kids. And I made the movie, I made two documentaries at the time. One was about a guy who made softball porn movies, and one was about his Holocaust. It was a very weird time mm-hmm. because I'm watching videos of women naked and getting whipped, and then I'm talking about people who are dying. Yeah. So it was very strange. And right after I shot the Holocaust survivor, I get a phone call coming, and he says, I'm bleeding like a stuck pig. I'm going to the hospital. I'll talk to you. That was four years ago. Oh my God. And we're trying to track it down. So um, I held off on putting that movie out because I wanted him to see it and I wanted his approval. But four years, you can't, you put tracks on him, you don't know if he died. Yeah. Um, his name is Sam Water. He's a famous violinist. So I finally released the movie. It went to the Long Island Film Festival that nominated for Best Documentary. And I got beat by a movie which I thought was a good I didn't feel that way. But this time I felt that Because people were crying. Yeah. People don't cry during movies. They use it. Oh, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had grown men crying during this movie, and when I got up, I started getting like emotional about it. But the subject matter was intense. So it's funny because I live in like two worlds where I make these really documentaries, like passion documentaries, and then I make these crazy black at home movies, which people want to see. Yeah. Like my movie about Radicals is on Amazon. I'm actually seeing money from it. It's crazy. Yeah. That's that's awesome. How so? Do you have like a solid crew now that you work with for any new movie that you make and you come out with? And have you known them forever, or are there new people that have come into the works? Or most of them are like kids I knew since I was Wow, and they all have that same kind of passion. Well, I, I think I forced them into it. <laughs> uh, well, what happened was with Crack Crew, I was doing it with the, uh, with some, and they 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 just more professor they backed out. So I grabbed my friends. This is how it all started. And I said, I need you I, I just need like grips and stuff. I can do everything. And I hired my friend to do the door effects. He's an artist. And he just ripped everybody. Like, we ripped faces or stomachs open. We had to crack the teeth and gums. It was just so much fun. We would come home at night and shower ourselves in the backyard and hang all these dead animals. Oh my God. Like all the food was covered in blood. And I remember one day, uh, I didn't know. I, I was so out because I was shooting that. We had. My nieces and nephews come from really small. Oh my god. And I had all these dead animals and they closed <laughs> like the blood dripping from them. And they came and I was sleeping and I heard a scream. <gasps> I got up and the kids were like horrified. And uh they go, Don't worry, you want the very just need a hospital. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. My I baby is really like, like, face alone when I see movies. I look over the background and say, I do a lot of the effects of my dog, so I can, you know, control it. You know, I had a lot of blood all over the place. So. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, what would you say is your favorite film? Of mine? Yeah. Bill Hospital Serial Rapist. Oh my gosh, please tell us. Um, I think every filmmaker wants to make that film that really disgusts people. I mean, that's how I feel. And I've talked to other filmmakers about it, and I'm not alone in this, right? Now, the documentary I'm showing this weekend at the cinema is about Joel and Reed who make books on people, which to me is the most. Graphic, horrific, and mind-fucking movie you'll ever see, right? I love this movie. So I wanted to make that movie. So at the time, Bill Cosby was going through all this stuff. And my friend Sean Weather, um, he's a guerrilla filmmaker, he goes, I want to work with you. And I said, I have this idea for Bill Cosby. And he goes, well, so what? So I go, okay, <laughs> let's write the scripts and let's switch the scripts. And we'll vote on which one is better. So after he read my script, he goes, which script is better? We're going to shoot this with him. He played and the movie basically shows Bill Cosby he kidnaps girls, rapes them, sells their babies on the black market. There's a lot of torture scenes, there's a lot of rape scenes, and it's 
It's so bad that Cosby actually tried to put it up on a cease and desist line. And then he got arrested. So that all. I actually tried to friend Cosby and sent me. I still got to send me to the block. Oh my god. But yeah, we, we really got off. We pulled the Bill Fox. The Bill Fox was his name in the TV series. Yeah. And it's basically Bill Cosby's life. We, we do like the Cosby show. We do like we did Kids Say the Dumbest Thing. And we did all of that. This guy played Bill Cosby. And also has a basement where he's torturing all these women. The film that my wife saw in almost second guess my whole wedding, like the white marry this guy. But it's the movie that made me the most money, right? Really? Because people want to see this. Yeah. And I've got like somebody said your career is over after this, but it's not mine. It's the movie I wanted to make. It's just, I made it to screw with people's heads. Yeah. I specifically made it for that reason. And then after that I made a beautiful a beautiful movie that won writing, best actor, because I felt like I had to like redeem myself. And make this beautiful movie with no person really giving a second thought. Yeah. But the kind Bill Fox and the Serial Rapers is the movie I watched. Like when I sit down and watch one of my movies, that's it. Yeah. That's awesome. Where can we see all of these movies? I know you said, I think Bat Radix is on Amazon, right? It's on Amazon. Bill Fox and was actually on Amazon Prime. They wouldn't put Crackoon on, mm-hmm. but they put Bill Fox on. Oh my god. Now, I actually, my distributor, when, um, one more crack who went on Xbox. Um, <laughs> this was a this is a, a pin I wear very proud. Um, we met with um, Xbox people because um, one more crack was on their platform, and you know they, they, they're showing video games and you could rent my movie, right? My trailer was so graphic and had curses in it that they they banned the movie until I recut the trailer, right? So I had to make a green band trailer, which is. The equivalent of like a Disney show, like not show person, not show doctor. I like to put everything in the show, so people this, right? So, to, so I go to the executive, I go, let me ask you a question. Aren't you guys who have this game where you pick up prostitutes and beat them in the back of the car? I said, and isn't a game that kids play? And they just sit there. Oh my gosh. So I go, I have no problem playing the game because I want the movie out there. I said, but do you see. The hypocrisy in this, like mm-hmm. you guys have games where you're beating hookers. Kids are beating hookers in the back of the car, and you're worried about a crack and thinking about food who's eating right. people. My, at least my guy has a purpose. They're cheering for him. Nobody's cheering for the guy beating the hooker in the back yeah. of the car. So it, it was like the whole Xbox thing. I love telling that story because it was like my even my distributor would tell everybody she was hysterical. Who's going to believe what happened? Like, okay, that is so funny. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to hear. Because you've worked on so many different projects. Um, you're an independent filmmaker, right? That's what yeah. you would call yourself. Has there ever, like, have you ever faced any challenges as being a solo business owner, an entrepreneur, if you will, um, that you've had to overcome while making these films and these passion projects? Well, it's making a film is hard. So people think that when you make a film, it's a lot of fun. This is why, like, um, I weeded out a lot of people in the process who basically were like, oh, this is work. I can't yeah, yeah, yeah. It's work. It's like, it's long days, you know, and, and of course, most filmmakers, I do an eight-hour day. Most of them do 20 hours. I don't believe, I don't believe in killing my actors to get more impressed. But, um, I kind of lost my train of thought there. So, yeah, looking for, to hear if you've, Come across any challenges, like challenges. you know, any anything that you've had to overcome, and you know, it's it's a you you're running your own business, you know, and well, when you're when you're making a movie, there are challenges at every step. Yeah, sound. Yeah, right. Um, getting a good picture, lighting, location, right. You shoot the location, the minute you shoot it, somebody upstairs starts banging on the door. Right. 
Or you're yeah. outside shooting some stuff with a jackhammer. Right? So those are things that you deal with every day. Yeah. Day. And after going through all of that, you have to basically go out and do the film festival circuit. Now, you don't always get the film festivals. It's kind of like... How do you do... Like, how do you... Do you enter yourself? That sounds funny. Yeah, I say. No, I do. No, um, there's a there's a um, there's a website and it's a um, thing called Film Freeway. And what they do is they list all the film festivals in the country and the world, really. And you punch in your movie, you join the website, and as a filmmaker, you punch in your projects, and then you say, "I'm looking for horror festivals," and then they come up with all the festivals you can join. So you got to pay like anywhere from a ten dollar fee to fifty, sixty dollar fee just to get them to look at you. So you could enter 10 film festivals and maybe one or two of them. Yeah. And that's the struggle because a lot of filmmakers don't have the money to put them into festivals. I know lots of filmmakers make great movies, but they go, I can't afford to spend $400 and not have the movie screen anywhere. Yeah. But I think that I became such a niche guy that a lot of film festivals picked up my films. So I got lucky. That's I was very lucky with that. So not only did the film festivals pick me up, but I started picking up awards. Um, and that helps. So then when you go out there and, you know, like on your IMDb page, which I really don't keep up with because it's so far behind, but they look at your IMDb page and they say, wow, this guy's won awards for best directing, best acting, best screenwriting. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like you're, you're always promoting yourself because the ultimate goal is to get distribution, is to have someone actually see your movie. And that's the hardest struggle in this business. It's, now it's a little easy because there's so many streaming platforms, yeah. but they're not giving you anything. It's like yeah. you're making, like if you rent a movie on Amazon for three ninety nine, maybe you're making two dollars on that. Yeah. So it's like you, it, it's really hard for your filmmaker now. When someone has a ten million dollar budget and they already know that it's going to go to theaters and it's going to go on Disney and everything, they have the option of having a little more free reign of this. I don't have that option. I have to go to the film festival. I have to introduce the films. I have to sit there with the Q and A. I meet the fans, and this is stuff I like. I love to talk. So. I know that I meet filmmakers, you make connections. Yeah. And then somebody goes, you know, I know a distributor who's looking for renting, usually why don't you call them on? So I had a bunch of my movies distributed on major platforms on streaming services. So I've been lucky. Not everybody that lucky. And it's only because I'm tenacious. I don't, I, I just keep working. Yeah. I'm just like, the goal is to have people see your film. So I know filmmakers who make these movies and they just, oh, they show up to their friends and make good films. I go try it out, I'm tired of wasting money for film festivals. So I said, it's, it's, it's a struggle, it's a challenge, but if you really want to succeed, you keep banging. Yeah. Like, you don't stop. And yeah. I don't stop. I just never stop. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the reason why I'm successful. It's not because I'm smarter. It's not because I'm, you know, I know more than anybody else or I know more about the business. It's because I'm always out there trying to make something happen. Yeah. No matter what I've done, I've always given it 200%. Yeah. And I, I really failed. I've been very lucky that. That's awesome. This episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast was brought to you by me, Will Ferrero. Uh, I'm an attorney in prior law right here in the Bronx, and we primarily practice in personal injury. However, we do also do a, a variety of areas of practice. So I can help you with just about any sort of legal issue that you might have. I'm admitted to practice both in New York and New Jersey. And if it's not something that I can personally help you with, I can connect you with someone in my network of attorneys who is best equipped to help you with your legal issue. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter, at Bronx Attorney. You can send me an email, Ferrero at Prior Law, or call me at the office, 718-829-0222. And now back to the show.
So we're sitting in the cinema on the sound, in right? The lounge, in, our new lounge. in the new lounge. The um, is usually our here. <laughs> I'm teaching a class, and teaching a film class here. So um, the first day of class, I brought all the preachers in because the best way to get kids interested is to show them that you, you're into cool stuff. So the first day, the kids would get playing with the preachers, and I'm saying, yeah, these aren't real. Like, one kid was a little afraid. Oh. And I said, this is why I show it to you because there are no such thing as monsters. We create monsters. Yeah. We make them. That is so true. Yeah. So yeah. it's like one of the things that my daughter, because she was raised on this thing, she knew from the beginning that there were three people pumping the creature all sad and yeah. stuff. So she was never afraid of monsters. That's good. You know, that's why I try to focus it. Yeah. That's They're amazing. Um, I'd love to hear how you got the inspiration to open this space. And I want to hear more about the classes that you teach because I think that's amazing that you work with kids. Um, and more about the movies that you show here as well. If you show your movies or other movies and how you pick those and all that good stuff. Well, we started with Pete um, and Clipper Coffee. Um, I started working there because I was getting really bored, you know, because it was, it was actually at the Bat Radicus and I moved here and I was hanging out at the bar doing nothing. I was yeah. retired. My daughter was going to school. So I was looking for work and um, Pete one day, it was so funny, I went in with my niece and Pete had to run out and he goes, Did you guys watch the post? I was like, and my niece goes, I work at Starbucks. So my niece oh. and I work at the coffee shop. And then the next day, I told Peter, I go, you need help here? Because I noticed that he had kids and a whole time. He was here, I really So I started working with Pete at the coffee shop. And in the coffee shop, we started doing like art shows and stuff. And I said, why don't we start doing movie night and show independent films? I'll start by showing, like, you know, Bat Radicus. Yep. I said, we'll premiere that. And since people have been doing movie, I know I was going to get a crowd. We got to go. So then every month we would do a film program where we would either do like short, we, at that point we were just basically doing independent film. So doing short programs, so we would show five or six short films, then we would show some film, and we would get in crowds. And then the pandemic. And uh, the pandemic basically shut all that down. So after the pandemic, when they started opening up, this space opened up. And we did a lot of innovations on the spot. Mm -hmm. And when the spot opened up, Pete came to me and said, what do you think about opening theater here. So I go, I have all the equipment. I could set the theater up like really fast. I said, and through my contacts in the film business, I could get films here. So I worked in here and you know you think that you just were here this weekend we had a play this weekend that was very successful. And I started showing independent and low budget movies, old movies on Sunday for the old people on a five dollar matinee, so I got a lot of old people in there. But I started showing films from filmmakers, like independent filmmakers. And they actually come here, they introduce the film, and then they do a Q&A. And that's been really successful. So we have a, we've had two of them so far, and the last one was short films by a local woman. And we had a big crowd, and everybody saw these cool short films. And it was like an hour Q&A afterwards, asking all questions about the process. What makes her want to make film? And that's what I want. I, I feel that um, there are a lot of films out there, and a lot of people have a lot to say. And they need a place to show them. And they're really on venues. I mean, movie theaters are closed. Yeah. In the Bronx right now, I think there's Bay Plaza, and I think that's about it. Yeah. When I grew up, there were movie theaters all over the place. I would go to movies all the time. So there were no movies here anymore. So I said, this might be good, especially for niche films. And we could, like, we were showing, like, um, Detour. We showed um, The Stranger with um, mm -hmm. Orson Welles, right? So we get that then we're showing low-budget harmony. We showed um, Abby, which is the, the African-American Exorcist, which is banned. And and next month, we're showing Polyasari, which is Kim Jong-il's Godzilla movie, 
where he kidnapped the cast and kept him prisoner and made him work on this movie for free. And we're showing that next month. So my plan is I'm getting all these people to this theater to see movies that they really wouldn't see anywhere else. And that's cool. And we're getting like fans that are coming like all the time to see these really wacky movies. So as far as being a filmmaker and being able to introduce people to these things that didn't really exist, that's cool. And um, the lounge now, we open the lounge back there, so we're going to actually have the screening of my movie this weekend, and then we're going to have a little lounge party, and we'll have a Q&A back there. People hang out, have a couple of drinks, you know, talk about the film. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a cool community, and it's, uh, I think right now, I think people are starving to get back. Yeah, still. Oh, to the real reality. Yeah. Not that, like they say, oh, new reality. That's yeah, not the new reality. The reality is that we got to get back to living. And I think that this came at a good time. We sought to get people to come in here, and, and they're, they're really supporting the kid, which I want to thank the people who support. Yeah. It's amazing. And you're, you're filling like a white space, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, yeah, like so. you're offering something that no one we know does, you know, and and, and where, where did you see an independent theater where you could see right. five lesbians eating quiche and then watch a movie that was banned that the, the, the Korean government goes after me? I'm afraid that the Korean government's gonna come after me and I'm showing it. But that's cool. <laughs> that's yeah. publicity for the movie. Right. And there's no such So, you know, and we showed Abby, which has been banned, we burned the copy of oh my God. And we showed it here. I had a copy of it through filmmaker friends of mine. And people are like, how'd you get this? And they're like, oh, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Just watch. Just watch. Just enjoy it. Yeah. So how did you figure out the teaching aspects? Like, I'd love to hear that. The the age of kids that come in, and do you teach, or do you teach well, with someone? we just started like here, but what yeah. happened was, a couple of years ago, um, they would do, like, a career day where they would ask the kids to bring their parents in to talk about their careers, right? So I went in there one day, and I talked about the movies. But, you know, the kids were impressed. Nobody else was impressed. So one day, and it was so funny because it was pre-K. It really started at pre-K. And and the parents were all freaked out that they were sending their kids to school for the first time, right? And I, I gotta admit, I was a little freaked out too, right? You, you raise yeah. this kid and also, boom, you send them to strangers. So it's it's a weird thing. So they had this class every week, which was, which discussed, um, like, you, you, your worries and fears, right? So now, I was a stay-at-home dad every time, so I'm the only guy in the class, and I bring an apple pie. I put the apple pie on the table. And all the mothers were looking at me. Nobody wants to touch this apple pie. Like, no Oh my gosh. So they had like, um, the schools had like half walls, so the people that were getting a little bit deal with this hard. So the principal came in, and the principal said, Oh, who made apple pie? And he cuts a piece of the apple pie and he's like, Oh, I made a really good apple pie. I'm just going to let you know that. Oh, wow. I don't give anybody the recipe. So, oh my God, this is the greatest apple pie. Oh my God, blah, blah, blah. who made this apple pie? So I put my hand also hold one. So he asked me, what do you like? You know, he asked, oh, Mr. Landy, what do you do? I said, I'm a filmmaker. Now, in the next room were a husband and wife crew who were starting up a film class and couldn't figure out how to do it. They were lost. So they heard me. All of a sudden, these two things so cute. This couple came they go, who's the guy who talked about filmmaking? He goes, come here, we're going to talk to you. So I went to the room and they, they have all this equipment out and software and stuff. We don't know what we're doing. We gotta start this place in two weeks. We don't know what we're doing. We're way over that. Could you help us? I go, yeah, I can help you. What do you mean? So I started teaching for two years. I taught film in um, 304. I taught middle school kids. And we made films. 
And uh, the last one we made was a film on bullying. And the kids really wanted to make a bullying. It was like at the height of all this stuff. And um, they came up with this really good script. And we wrote the script and we shot it. And the concept of the script was that they were just bullying, bullying, bullying all the kids. And at the end, they wanted like to show revenge on the bullying. Like they wanted some kind of revenge. Now, if it was up to me, I would have had them cut in the pan. It's, you know, sushi, sushi him up. But we couldn't do that. So I, I showed them the last 10 minutes of the movie Freaks, right? If you've ever seen that movie, they want to kill this guy, this woman, and this guy because they they um, they abused one of their own, right? Mm-hmm. And what it is is the camera was laying on the floor, and you have all of them coming into the camera, and the door's black. So the kids are not in But that's how we're going to shoot on it. So we're going to leave it up to the imagination of what happens. Yeah. Time. But if you all have really mean faces on, God. And um, which has happened many times in my life. And um, they say, you know, Mr. Landy, the film's really good, but you gotta change the name. So I go, why? They go, because it's too fine. I go, you don't see anything. They go, yeah, but it's implied. I go, what are we in the 1930s? I said, what is this? Like pre <clears throat> I said, this is the ending they wanted. They wanted to show that the bully gets what he deserved. The bully is a real dick, right? So they go, no, you're gonna change it. So they go, here, this is how we want to change it. So I look at it. Oh no. So I go to the class and I have all the kids who really look at them, right? And uh, I go, they want to change. Oh no. You know, all of this, I'm working here as a volunteer. I'm not a teacher. I have no sense. How old are they again? Little grades, like third, fourth, fourth. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yep. like yep. And um, I go, well, we gotta <laughs> do it. And the ending they wanted, which is so fucking stupid, it's like, they had this guy, the, 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 the one of the kids that gets abused through the whole thing. He's in a computer and the bully walks by. And he goes, oh, you like that video game? Oh, we're very much alike. Oh, no. So, I basically quit the program. Yeah. I said, I can't do this. I said, because I broke those kids' hearts. They trust me. They, I told them that there's going to be no censorship in my class. I want you to say what you want. I, I failed those kids. I can't go back and teach them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's. I started doing it here on City Island. I got a couple of kids um, that showed up to the, their thing, and these kids are out there building costumes. They're making costumes. They're building sets. They wrote this horrific. I I, I was showing my my real like cold bore out, <laughs> and the kids wrote a script where they're basically chaining guys and drowning them, and ghosts and killing people on City Island. And I'm like, oh, I have to cut my scissors, my reel, and the parents are backing off. So your kids came up with this. They came up with this. And I just and they I showed them really know I make horror movies. So they're like, oh, we want to make a horror movie. And they were into it. So the father was there. And the father goes, that's what they want to do. Five, five. They're like, okay, cool. So I'm like, you're making me very happy. I thought you guys were gonna come up with something that's too <laughs> So yeah, they're gonna tie the guy to the rocks, on execution rocks, they're gonna go on a boat and do all this stuff. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. So all the kids are get their their crew together because they gotta play when they're young, when they're older. You're going to shoot the cemetery. You got permission to shoot the cemetery. So it's going to be really cool. And uh, part of the cinema here, um, I think our mission statement with the cinema is to show movies, to have events, to show plays, 
to do art exhibits. We have a guy in the island who does beautiful glass, who blows glass. Mm -hmm. I want him to come and do a show here. So this is this is part entertainment, part community. Uh, I'm always about giving back to the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I was in politics for a long time, a science community board. I'm into giving back to the neighborhood. So I feel that a space like this, we could do a lot of good. Especially teaching kids and getting kids into the film industry. And I have people that I'm working with on a project now, as I really can talk about, that are in, that are major players, yeah. that train kids to work on major TV shows. And that's kind of what I want to do. Like, if you get, when I was a kid, there was really nobody, like when I got out of school, there was nobody that said, okay, now you're going to go to this program. There was nothing. You were basically kicked out of the helicopter and had to figure that out. So, yeah. So, that's why I didn't become a filmmaker until after my career and I was retired and said, well, now I can do this. Yeah. Because nobody was giving me a shot. So now, if you train a kid and you put the book, when I shot the film, when I did the film class, I had 30 kids in the class. At the end, seven of them really into it and those kids go on yeah do stuff. that is pretty good that's a pretty good ratio yeah if you think about it. so you put the bug in seven kids heads and they go out and they do their thing and maybe they put the bug and they pay forward because i've been very lucky with mentors and people helping me so I, yeah my whole thing is to get back it's, it's, it's a cool thing yeah especially seeing the kids so enthusiastic about what i this is what exactly. I, I was when i was a kid and i'm sure they can look at the movies this is what i did you're giving them an opportunity to express themselves. And I, and it kind of like listening to everything you're saying makes me think like there's a common theme of just, you know, people want to let go of reality for a little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially yeah. after everything that we've been dealing with the past few years. And that's what I was thinking when I was here the other night when we came to see five lesbians eating a quiche. Yeah. Cause it's just like, you have a minute to, you're not looking at your phone and you're just enjoying something that is so like, you know, if people worked hard to put it together and you're just escaping and you can just relax and, and let go, great. you know? Yes. And I, and I love that you're encouraging kids to do that. And it's more like, okay, if you like glass blowing, come here and show us what you got, you know, you're opening that space for people, which I think is really amazing. Um, I am curious to hear how you got hooked up with the, um, the production crew who wrote that play and then showed it here. Um, when we were, uh, they're friends of mine, Kai and Tiger. Okay. Um, they run their, um, um, I think it's hands-on theater. Have you worked with them before or? No. Um, we were friends and I know that they did fringe theater and they've been, I'm not going to say crime because they don't crime, but they're really cool. But they've been like saying, oh, we need a place yeah. to do this. Damn, we need a place to do this. And I told Tiger, I said, it's going to be my goal to get a place out here on City Island. I said, I don't care how hard I have to work. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's been a struggle. We had a couple of spots that we wanted, and they weren't, they didn't want to rent it. it. It was like, it was a struggle to get this done. And then, you know, people weren't sure about what I was going to do. Blah, 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 blah. So when this space opened up, I immediately spoke to Tyler. And I said, okay, I have a spot. And she goes, I don't think it's something funny. She can't just. <gasps> and, and I was in the process of, Redoing the whole yep, thing. Okay. And I said, I told you I was going to give you a spot. Now it's your turn to produce. And she immediately got the theater group together and got this book. Wow. So she bought the rights to it. It was an actor's equity play, so it was a real play. It wasn't like just a bunch of people. They bought the rights to the play. Got it. Um, so uh, it's, it's a play that plays all over the country and it has a following. And we had four sellout shows, which I was amazed. It's August. On a beach where everybody likes to drink and go 
fishing and hang out. We had four sellout shows. And I was so, and they were happy. And I go, I told you. I said, if you build it, and I hope that you build it, they will come. Yeah. So now, all of a sudden, we got publicity. We were getting a lot of interviews. We were on 12. Now, I'm getting texts from people saying, I have a one movie show. Um, we were talking about the, the John Wilkes project. Oh, you weren't here for that. Um, um, one of my friends is a direct descendant of John Wilkes Booth. Wow. And they have a play called Booth. It's a one man play. And I call it Nintendo Doctor. Mm-hmm. There's another woman who does a play. Another woman who approached me about doing her show. Um, so it was like doing that, it opened the eyes to people what we can have. Yeah. Out here. And that was my goal. My whole goal is don't talk, do. Don't, don't, like, I, I, I listen to people all the time. I'm making a movie, I'm going to make this movie, and two right. years later, they do nothing. I'm the guy who says, I'm going to make a movie, and the next day I go out and I start production. Yeah. So when I said I was going to do this, I told everybody, I'm going to get it done, but now you're going to have to give me content. And that's what's happening now. We're getting filmmakers that want to come here and show their movies. Uh, we're getting people who want to do productions here. So um, I think eventually this is going to be a major place on City Island yeah. because we have a coffee shop next door. We're going to open up the back deck. Yeah. Next summer we're going to do driving movies out here. That's awesome. Yeah, this summer we this we just basically it's August. We just basically got lounging this beautiful lounge that we're hanging in right now. Yeah. And I'm going to be living back here for a while. I actually like hanging out. <laughs> yeah, but when I run movies and stuff, it's nice to to be able to be able to. Yeah. But um, I, I'm all about I'm all about bringing people together, and we live on City Island where there's tons of writers, artists, photographers, musicians, and they don't really have this. We have one place here, but we need more outlets. Yeah. Think. And we needed a theater because now, and if you're interested in renting a theater out, um, filmmakers want to show their movie. You can rent the theater out. You want to have a kids' party and show a movie. We're going to do all of that. Yeah. Pop ups. We already have somebody who wants to do a pop up here. So we're going to be open to do all community type stuff. That's awesome. So it's it's we want to do everything. Yeah, to try to do everything. that's amazing. Do you have any last words and advice for anyone who maybe is considering trying to break into the film industry, but they're not sure where to start or pinpoint how to get how to get moving or open their own space like this? You know. Uh, a friend of mine is like a is is a pretty famous filmmaker, um, a really good friend of mine. He makes HBO films, and um, <laughs> my niece was over, and my niece, um, I guess she caught the bug for me, right? Mm-hmm. And she's going to school for film, and we had a whole discussion two weeks ago. We sat down and we talked, and I, I kind of asked her where she was, what she wanted, and she wanted to go into editing, right? Wow. And I go, that's the smartest thing I've ever heard because editing will only work. Everybody wants to go to film school and be Steven Spielberg. They want to be the famous guy who sits in the chair and goes, Cut! Stop! I'm a director, but I'm also a writer, I'm an editor, I'm a creator. So the only reason I do all of that is because I want total control over my project. Yeah. I don't shoot my film because I have a grace in the project, but I do everything else. So I'm like, um, the advice I would give you right now, the thing that Antonio told my piece was, go to medical school. <laughs> <laughs> so and we laughed about it, and he said, he goes, listen, he goes, if, and, and he basically told her that she had direction and she was going to edit, which is the best thing you can do because there's always a need for editors. And you work on your own, you can work along all the time. I love editing is my favorite part of the project, basically. You're like bringing it together. Bring it together. And you're creating a world there. So my advice is get an education. So if filmmaking doesn't work out, you can pay for it. 
I was lucky enough to have a career before filmmaking, so I could be a flagrant filmmaker and do whatever the hell I want. Yeah. Not everybody has that option. So I would tell people, film school, it's a good start, but you should get an education doing something else. You should want to do something. Uh, I almost got in trouble because um, we we filmed a movie and we filmed in a law office, right? And the kid's son was there one day. He goes, oh, I'd like to work on this movie. So yeah, so he worked on Blood Wars Cracking. And at the end of the movie, he decided he wasn't going to law school, he was going to law school. Wow. So now, no, no, it's not good. <laughs> so uh, I get a phone call from him. What the hell did you do? My son wants to go to film school. Blah, 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 this and that. So he goes, what did you do? I go, I didn't do nothing. I said, whatever. So I had a talk with him. I said, go to law school. He goes, no, no, I'm going to make my phone. I'm going to make my phone. So I told the father, he still has six months. Mm-hmm. So I didn't hear from him. So I called him a couple of months later. I go, Kevin, how'd your phone come out? I go, I'm law school. <laughs> so he realized that he liked the concept of it, but it's not easy. Yeah. And after doing all that work, there is really, unless you get picked up by a big company, there's really nothing for you. It's getting your art done. And that's why I can do whatever I want because I don't have to depend on that to pay the bills. Yeah. So if I want to make a movie about Bill Cosby, I make a movie about Bill Cosby. If I want to make a movie about a giant woodlouse that eats people, I can make it. I don't have to answer to anybody. And I actually won a Spirit Award last year because I don't give a crap about what I do. Yeah. They, and they say Jerry can make a documentary about a Holocaust survivor, they make a crack at the direct food. A horny Bigfoot movie, which is my Fox Bigfoot movie. He does what he wants and he doesn't care what they say or what they do. He's happy, he succeeds, and he moves on. So I always tell people, do what makes you happy. Because jobs suck. If you go to a job every day that you hate, you're on the wrong track. Yeah. If you want to be a filmmaker, make sure you have a backup. Because it's not always going to work out. You talk to hundreds of actors in New York City who are waiting to do yeah. right? Yep. So it's the best advice I can give you is get an education and then have a background. Have a backdrop. So if things don't work out, you can always or go into editing. <laughs> go into editing, yeah. You're going to be a filmmaker. Don't be the big director who everybody's going to kiss your ass. I don't like anybody kissing my ass. I'm very, in the beginning, I was very like embarrassed to go up and yeah. talk about myself, you know? And the people said, well, you have to. And I'm like, well, I feel like, I kind of feel like I was doing that. Yeah. But if you want to promote your films, you got to go out there and you got to talk. Yeah. You got to make people interested. So. Awesome. Well, that was really good advice. I'm so excited to see this space take off and so much more to come. So thank, thank you, you so for much. talking with me this today. Great. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast. Please like, review, and subscribe so we can help the channel continue to grow. And if you're interested in connecting with any of the guests, please let me know and I'd be happy to make the introduction.